You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and today we are at the W uh, in Columbus, Mississippi, and we're here to talk about the arts, and uh, we have none other than Mr. Larry Feeney, and co-hosting with me today is his daughter, Catherine Munson. So, uh, Mr. Feeney, how you doing? Thank you. Good. And so, growing up, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the river, Mississippi River up in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so, art, uh, was it always a part of your life? How'd you get into it? It was really the only thing I did much. Um, as a child, I honestly remember drawing in front of a little um, clothing, what do you call it, place for children to put their clothes in a bureau, I guess you'd say. And I, I remember drawing in front of that thing. I was four years old. And that's what I did. I drew. And uh, when I was about seven years old, I went to the art gallery in downtown Davenport. They had one. It had been a stable during the time of the Civil War. And it was by, in 5th or 6th Street. It was a big two-story building, which had been renovated many times from being a stable, right? Mm -hmm. And um, But the, my experiences in that art gallery and the art gallery classes are what really continued to move me over many years. Uh, I, I mean, my interest in art continued throughout, but that gallery became the locus, the place where I would go back to, you know. I, I might have the encouragement of my parents. I, there was a woman teacher that helped me, mm -hmm. a number of people in different ways, in different years, but that gallery, the place, and the, the, its permanent collection and the, see, downstairs was a gallery, upstairs were classrooms. And that combination remained, call it an inspiration, or just what I always thought of the way it ought to be. And so when I came to the W many years later, that combination of a place where you could see art, do art, appreciate it, all of it, was what I kind of went back to. And I think it was a good example. Yeah, and just from Ohio, uh, how did you get down here to Columbus? Well, it's from Iowa, Iowa. Mississippi. And um, I got down here because I, I, I went to a little Catholic college on Davenport and got out of there after four years. And then I went to the University of Iowa. The University of Iowa is in eastern Iowa. It's in Iowa City, which was the old capital. Okay. And... Uh, when I got through at Iowa City, one of the professors there, actually was an instructor, not a professor. I remember him calling to me one night. I had no job. He said, Feeney. I remember I was up probably a hundred, you know, two buildings away. How would you like to teach at a girls college in Mississippi? <laughs> he, he laughed and thought it was funny too. Because he knew I was a bachelor, job, right? you know. <laughs> And I, I, had, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I really wasn't worried about it. And I said, I'll come down and talk to you tonight, okay? So I came down to his building. He was teaching in the Quonset hut. And we walked around up behind the Quonset hut. And I talked. And I remember a conversation. I said, you know, if you go to there, you'll have a hard time getting out. Another job, won't you? He said, eh, maybe. 
But I wasn't terribly interested in that. Some people think of themselves as moving up through different jobs, you know, and they're going to get a better job and a better job, and they'll get research and whatever. And I didn't see those as necessarily things that I was passionate about. And so it didn't bother me. There could be a place where you'd be going to to stay. And uh, so I, I said, yeah, send me information on it. Mm-hmm. Well, frankly, I didn't realize it. When I said that, I had the job. I mean, they, the man who was the head of the program at, in Mississippi here, Dr. Hudson, mm-hmm. he had probably called Joe with his son-in-law and asked for him to give him a name. I didn't know that. But I mean, looking back on it, that's the only logical thing. Because I remember later on, when I did go to Columbus here, I had somehow inadvertently not taken some slides. I took slides, but not all of them I thought I had. And I remember Dr. Hudson saying, oh, don't worry about it. I think that's Was that for your interview? Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Hudson, I think, knew what he was going to do once he talked to Joe. Mm -hmm. And once I, I think Joe and he had figured out to offer the job to Larry Feeney. So what year was that? 1967, 68. Mm-hmm. So I came here in 1968. And um, was it the first time in the South? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Was there a bit of a culture shock for you? Oh yeah. I think he's culture shocked every day still, Alan. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> to this day. I, I am still <laughs> culture shocked. Sometimes I'm, you know, certain parts of it, like if you drive over across to Alabama to the likes of Kennedy and Fayette and all, that can be charming. Yeah. Just charming. Absolutely. I mean, we had a discussion of, you know, when yeah. we were talking before, uh, just about your memories of Kennedy. Oh, with the, these uh, are very nice memories. Sheets on the bush. And these are nice memories. But it was a very different experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eastern Iowa was this um, very, I don't know, everything was just done according to Hoyle, according to exact ways, just mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to be done. And the grass is cut, and the sidewalk is swept, mm-hmm. and uh, everything is like that. Mm-hmm. And your neighbors, uh, they may be nosy and all that, but it's different than here. I mean, they, in fact, they may be quite nosy, mm-hmm. but you feel still like you, you, you have more privacy almost than you do in Columbus. That, that makes sense. Do you think that's like this, that good old Southern hospitality? Good old is the nice, appropriate beginning to that because <laughs> it, it is good old. I mean, they will be nice to you, and if you are sick and need something, they'll help you. But there's a little more to that than appears at first. Sure. But when I came here, within a year, I taught one student, and I dated her then, and she had the southern accent. I'm To this day, I don't believe I have any southern accent, do I? I don't hear it. And But see, she had a southern accent, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I began to date her, I didn't worry as much about, I frankly kind of worried about going out too much. I taught classes at the W, and I would go out on Sunday to church and to buy newspapers. And I went to the grocery stores, A&P grocery store, big A&P. Mm-hmm. And that was my outings. I stayed to myself, because I was frankly a little leery of uh, going out too much. I didn't know how, what people thought of that. Yankee with his accent and all that, you know. Mm. Students weren't going to say anything. And I worked on a campus where people weren't going to say anything. But I didn't know about the community as a whole. Looking back on it, it would have been mixed, I'm sure. But there were a lot of nice people that would have treated you just fine, I'm sure. But until I met the girl I ended up marrying, I was really kind of guarded and laid back. I just didn't go out much at all. Right. And so, I mean, as the, the years continue to pass here at the WN teaching, uh, uh, walk us through one of your earliest pieces here. Uh, the earliest of all is, is the one right over, behind you. Uh, it's the one of the girl. What's it titled? That one is um, done in 1968. Yeah. It's of the young woman sitting upright. I don't have the name of it. Well. Right she was the girl, I remember her, the model, I remember well. She was from the hottest 
town, at that time in America, Needles, California. Okay. And um, I, that is not, people talk about the paper, how it's discolored. Well, I kind of like it that way, frankly. But it was a gigantic piece of paper I bought somewhere at the University of Iowa, and I could just tape it on a big old easel, you know? And I drew her, and I thought it was a pretty good drawing. So that uh, was the first year you were here? Well, I did it before semester. I came here. I carried it with me. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Right. Carried it from Iowa. Gotcha. And um, then I got it framed. But I just thought she was an interesting soul. I mean, there's something about her face. and um, She was a poet. And uh, I did other drawings of her, but that one is the one that I had. That I think it worked out the best, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, that's the way I was doing in the beginning. I always did figurative work. Now you take art, drawing, draftsmanship, you could just have imaginative things, right? Sure. But I really, most of my work was based on something from a model. Not necessarily a nude model, but a model. And of course, sometimes I've got a lot, of, you'll find in here self-portraits periodic, and over the years I did a lot of them. Well, you're always there. If you can't think of something else, draw, just get a mirror and look at yourself in the mirror. And you try to draw different aspects of yourself or different angles of your head. You know, you get multiple mirrors. And, you can... and Alan, I've really enjoyed um, all of his self-portraits over the years and seeing them. They'll be more artistic and you can sort of, or they'll be more artistic or more um, just serious. And you can really see kind of what he's thinking about with these self-portraits. And they've been... Um, They've been really fun over the years, of the past 40 years, to, to see them progress. Yeah. Catherine's my second daughter, right? And when she was a little bitty thing, I mean, about three years old, I got her to sit for a self-portrait. And she held so still. I've got strange. it somewhere. You can find that thing. I mean, I mean, she was a very good model. So I, mean, I remember doing that. I remember from a you? very early age. Well, oh. I just, well, we would do them all the time, and I remember... You were saying good. it was very serious, you know. Now, Catherine, this is, you know, we're going to do our portrait, you know. And I remember moving a little bit. Here oh, you there, were good. But, but you would, you know, usually set up something for us to entertain us while we did it. But I do remember taking it very seriously. Well, over many years, I like these are all here are ones that went a long ways. But I used to go out to fairs and do quick portraits of people, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do people there children or whatever, and they move on you all the time. And I've looked at some pictures of even princes, you know, like something, one of Henry VIII's children. And I am sure some of those children were moving more like that. I mean, kids will move their head a little bit to the left or the right, and what you finally get to is a point where you realize if they move their head back and forth, just wait a second, and they're going to move back to where it was. Mm-hmm. And so kind of draw their hair, draw their collars, and then keep your eye on that nose because it's going to go back to that angle it was at. And if it doesn't, take your hand and twist the head a little bit and just talk to them and draw it. And I used to be able to do that. I don't know if at 84 I'm as good at that. <laughs> but I could do it kind of with one hand on the top of the head and draw on the side of their nose. And, and that's what you did to earn money, right? In yeah. Grad school, you, but you worked at a bar. Oh, I, I, for a while the, I worked at a bar, at bar and did that too, yeah. I did it a lot of ways. I did it on a boat one time. I did it for some union guys, a boat going up and down the Mississippi River. I mean, I just enjoyed drawing people, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed people. I mean, I'm sure they enjoyed it too, yeah. right? I like to hear what they talk about, you know. It was just fun. And if you, these were just a little more serious, just a little more. You know, you just, you're going after the more, more the formal side, trying to get certain the composition or whatever. But those drawings were, some of them were, pretty serious too. I don't think they're all bad. I look back on, you know, I'd like to see some of them again. Mm. They weren't too bad at all. It's funny, I went back a few years ago to, and while I was up there, a friend, a kid had gone to high school and died. Mm-hmm. And I went to the funeral. And there in the middle of the table, they have things, you know, pictures, was a drawing I did of him when we were all in high school. At the funeral? Yeah. Well, at the mortuary. Mm-hmm. And they'd framed it up and matted it, and it looked like them. Wow. And I thought, how interesting. 
you know, we don't change too much through life. Our hair gets a little longer, a little less, whatever. But, you know, the, 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 the cast of our face is much the same. It looked like him. And I thought, isn't that interesting how they had saved that image of him, and now, since he's died, they bring it to the mortuary here. I remember that so well. I don't know how many other times that's true, but, you know, that one. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, just back to, you know, when you were four years old, would this be drawing nature? No. I always do people. I, I, always I, people. It was, I, I, I know this because there was a book my father gave me, what do you call it, a daily journal, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, it's a 1937 journal. And I've got on certain pages, there's one of my grandfather, I do my grandfather's nose. And uh, just how do you draw a nose three quarter when you're four or five years old? And what I did was I basically, if you looked at it, it's a question mark, mm-hmm. you know? Uh-huh. And then I took and took the dot and moved it down and became a nostril. But I mean, that wasn't what I thought. I mean, I was analytically trying to figure out how do you draw that nose and all that, you know. And he was encouraged to do artwork and discouraged yeah. to do sports because he... Well, I was kind of sick as yeah, a kid. Had, I was, had pretty weak had health. Seizures and whatnot. Seizures too. and all that, which were no problem as I grew much older. But, but his uh, mother didn't want him yeah. playing any kind of sports. So and uh, I was, couldn't. They wouldn't let me. I, I mean, I, I you know, doctors said I couldn't do this and couldn't do that. Well, I could draw. Nobody ever gave me grief about drawing. And so I went and I drew it, and I liked it. And like I told you, the art gallery, and there was like one teacher there who I will forever remember, Miss Alberts. She taught me in second grade there. Well, I ended up many years later being this, her assistant director of the art, children's art classes. And I frankly did it after she was gone slightly. But I mean, those people and the artwork they had downstairs and looking at the different examples and looking at each other's work, that place was just a wonderful stimulus, and I always had hoped hoped that the W could do that for children. And we used to have years ago. We had lots of childrens come through the gallery, mm-hmm. and I tried to show them around, somewhat like the people had done for me at that Davenport Gallery. I mean, I think it means a lot to have somebody who's a little uh, adult who will take and let you look at these things closely. Oh, absolutely. I remember, you know, just at a young age, I was exposed to music in a real way. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was always a part of my life. And when I got to be 15, I would pick up a guitar and I would never look back. And so I believe those early impressions... Same way, exactly. Early impressions are very important, especially when it comes to artistic forms. And, and But I remember one time, after showing kids around the gallery, going out to the mall, Lee Mall. Well, nowadays, Lee Mall is kind of a ghost yeah. but uh, back then people were going through it avidly you know and I went out there that afternoon later and it was a little girl who had seen me that day and she just from a distance kind of yelled and waved at me you know mm-hmm. and I that sticks because she had gone through and seen those pictures and I'd pointed things out and tried to make it interesting for her and lo and behold it had been interesting for her mm-hmm. well that's what it was all about your whole day you realize you had done alright hmm. yeah and uh, but you also started a art camp. I remember when I was little, you did a huge art camp here um, at Correct. the W for all the arts. You did dance. We did music. We, we had did... dance, theater, music, and uh, what would be the fourth one? Well, visual, it, right? Yeah, Drawing. the art, visual arts. Yeah, yours. Mine. But that was so much fun, and I look forward to doing that art camp every year when you did it. But wasn't that something you Well, it was really four of us. I spearheaded it, but it wasn't only mine. It was also uh, uh, Yusha Murskowski. Right, yeah. Had come from New York City. You ever she heard of Yusha Murskowski? I have not. And uh, she was a ballet dancer, and she was, was taught ballet. And I always wonder, how do you end up in Columbus? Well, I think she'd had some love and she had split up. And somehow she threw maybe a Trudy Gilday. Do you know the Gilday family here in Columbus? I do not. Well, she was a wonderful woman for the arts in Columbus. And she got, I think, Yusha. Either to, it was Yusha, myself, and then the other people were Kathy very Cadden. familiar. 
Kathy Cadden. Kathy Cadden, okay. But she got good people to come, and we'd have four classes. The kids would rotate in these classes, and then they'd go to lunch in the middle of the day here at the W. And, and we would go swimming. Oh, at the end it of the day. It was so much the fun. End of the day. It was so much fun. And see, Catherine was too little when she started. <laughs> she doesn't remember this. But in the very first year or so, she was a little girl. And Yusha and especially um, Trudy Day, we made it so... Catherine, she doesn't remember this. You were a big help to me. Oh, I remember. Because yeah. I would... When you have art supplies, you've got pencils and chalks and paper and all kinds of materials, right? And I would start that class, and I'd suddenly realize I didn't have whatever. Hmm. And I'd look at her, and I'd say, Catherine, go back. You remember in the back room, up on the shelf in the back, there's some whatever. And she'd say, okay. And she'd run off and get that and bring it back, and she'd do it. And the other thing I remember was, this was just crazy. I tried to teach them a little bit of calligraphy. And, uh, you know, that's writing, writing with a... Nowadays, they use these felt pens. And I would do that with these kids. Well, Catherine, again, was too young to really... She had just learned to write, barely, you know? Mm-hmm. And she would take one of my pens, and she wouldn't even talk to me about it, but she'd go off to a side table. And I suddenly looked around the room, and I realized they all were having Catherine Feeney write their names very pretty fashion. Well, they were learning it too. But somehow she'd take certain colored pens and she had access to them and she'd make their name just so pretty and do this and do that. And they all wanted her to write their name. And I thought that was kind of amazing to to see the littlest kid there um, doing this work for these bigger kids and they all were crazy about it. Yeah. But you did that for how many years? Oh, I did for years. I loved it. Yeah. I loved that. Well, it was was really I I did it for as many years you should finally kind of cease to do it. And we had turnovers in some of the personnel. But I always thought, for me, it was a... Some people would look at it and say, oh, they're taking all your time in this summer. To me, it was energizing. Mm-hmm. You could see kids work and different children's work, and you'd see them evolve and how they changed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. I just found it... I didn't... It worked, for me, it wasn't a time when you bled yourself off. I find it replenishing. Yeah, it was a time to inspire the younger generation to preserve the arts, right? I thought it was great, yeah. And so just with the gallery and, I mean, you've taught here since 68. That's right. Is, uh, just tell us about the founding of this gallery. The gallery goes back to when Dr. Hudson started it. And he had, um, if, 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 you, if you know the physical plant, the building at all, there was a large central room, mm-hmm. bigger than it is now. And there was a large window, which lost you space, but it, and it had the light pour in on the gallery area. But it still was an awfully nice space with a cloth wall. So in many, many ways, this was a very nice gallery. I remember one time seeing a show come through there, and the same exhibit went to Oxford. Mm-hmm. And I saw that displayed in Oxford, and I said, oh, we did. Ours looked better. Mm-hmm. Because we had a better space. It wasn't that they were bad. But that gallery could look really fine. If you were careful about where you spaced the pictures, and, of course, you have to find the right height and get that all figured out, and then you get the signage, you, had a, you could put a good-looking show up in the gallery. As you still can, right? But it's work. I mean, it's, it's changed... <laughs> It's changed quite a bit because of the tornado, of course, that took. Oh, down the it took building. a lot. That tornado they used to have windows, if I remember correctly, in the gallery. And 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 in time, <coughs> they enclosed the space differently, mm-hmm. and the windows became smaller, mm-hmm. which are really it's really better. It gives you more exhibition space, mm-hmm. and you don't need that light pouring in on artwork. Mm. So it, it's better this way. Mm-hmm. But uh, all said and done, the way it was in the beginning was quite good. For, for its day and time, about 1958, late 50s, that was quite good. Mm-hmm. And it just got better as time went on. And I would say today you still have a gallery. I don't know exactly what the ones in Starkville are now, but I think ours is as good as any of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Oxford, strangely enough, I bet we're better than Oxford. Uh, Oxford had a nice gallery, but 
it really, I mean, like people would do things like when they built it, they'd put a water fountain right next to some space you're going to hang pictures. Now that's not elegant. You don't see that in a really fine gallery. Mm -hmm. No, I, I thought that the W went at the gallery space more thoughtfully than any place else. And you were the first to be assigned well, kind of gallery director. How well, did, how I kind of gave myself up? the title. I hate to say that. Oh. <laughs> um, what happened was this. You know, I also wrote the stories of publicity. And when you write a quote, you can't just write a quote and drop it in there. Who said this? Okay, Larry Feeney said it. Who is Larry Feeney? Well, I hang the pictures, and David Frank never said I wasn't. And he didn't want to have this thing. He didn't want to have people going to him. So I said, you're the gallery director. So I kind of gave myself the title gallery director. Yeah. Did you give yourself an increase in pay? No, that? I did not. Oh, it was, it it was like, like so many good things in life. You either get a pay increase or you get a title, right? Yeah. And at the W, the titles came much faster than the pay increases. Although, in all fairness to the W, this also wouldn't have occurred in the last few years, I don't think. I came in 1968. Pardon me, 68. I think in 1969 or 70, they gave me a pay increase and never told me about it. It just happened. Huh? I looked my paycheck. <laughs> And I think I got a raise in rank also. Well, that would have never happened a few years later. Never, never, never. Mm. You would have had letters, and this would have been very formally done and approved and all that. But in those early years, things could happen very... If Dr. Hogarth saw fit to it and Dr. Hudson saw fit to it, why, well, you had a raise in rank. Mm -hmm. You were doing your work and showing up and... and there was no need for you to go in and ask for these things. It might have hurt you to do it. Mm -hmm. So did you have any um, discussion on the drawing room being named after him? When he retired, he got the drawing room here in the gallery. It was oh, named wow. after him. I think that was just a kindness uh, of people here. Yeah. I gave him a little bit of money. When I retired, it bothered me. People give money to the W. But if, unless you designate money rather carefully, money goes wherever they want it to. It's just a fund. So I tried, thought there ought to be some money for the art gallery. Now, you could say that's for frame, for purchasing art, for matting It's to it. the discretion of the director, correct? Yeah, but I mean, I trust the director, I think. But For sure, yeah. But I mean, I'm not sure. If, if you just say for the art area, you could go and do anything with it, you know. Mm -hmm. But what it is, it's an, endow an endowment right. and the um, interest. The director the, is able to use at her discretion whatever she needs. If she what you she got. or he needs mm. to do some sort of party materials or if they want to buy a piece of artwork, um, you set up that endowment. You, you, you to, bought a piece several years ago, I know. I don't know what else. This year too? Every year. Every so year. A, a piece is bought every single year and then also... It goes to like if you need other things correctly, if there's any leftover. There's never any leftover. Never. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to add to the endowment. Yeah. I, I think yeah. she's telling us we need. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. If you're looking for ways uh, to support the W. The Larry Feeney Endowment. Or, there you go. The W. M -E -W. Which will, will go to funding the gallery, essentially. Right on. Yeah. I wanted to take a, uh, a step back uh, to another one of your paintings here. I, what's the story behind this one here? Well, some of these things are based on... I, what I looked at when I drew, like I, the one you, that young girl, see? There were many of them based like that, self-portraits. This is not. The one you're talking about was a profile, and then I constructed, it was a game. I just sat down and tried to figure out, there's a mirror in that picture, and see the face is reflected in the mirror. Well, what angle does the face come back? There's a hand on a table, and... The whole thing, I've got tried to figure out how that all would reflect hmm. back. And uh, then I drew his figure, and he's a clown-like figure. He's got a kind of skull cap, and there's all kinds of cloth around and color changes and all. And the guy in front is a heavy figure, a little bit like that guy in the movies. Remember a guy called Divine? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that's Divine, but I mean it's a character yeah. a lot like on those lines. 
And then there's this table with makeup on it. And um, I remember silent German films. They'd show you like a makeup table, you know, or some, you know, once you go back to the early expressionist films, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, so I kind of, you can see in that picture there's a table with, well, let's say, ponds or some sort of face cream where you can take off this uh, makeup. But that's part of a series you were doing lots of clowns. Oh, I did lots and lots of these clowns. Many, many clowns. Why, why clowns? A lot of people hate clowns. Uh, they're bothered by clowns. They can be kind of disturbing faces, you know. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can pack a lot into a small car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, one of the early 20th century artists, I'm trying to think who it was, did pictures of Christ as a clown face. French artist. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. But Christ as a clown. Yeah. I bet he got some uh, feedback on yeah, I was that. Say. Well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's <laughs> the way it was. And so I've always used clowns as very ambiguous kind of figures, you know. And sometimes you give them a big nose, and sometimes you do this or do that. And, um, but I, I always thought it was very interesting to try and work with a clown face, one way or another. It's never exactly evil, but you, there's an ambiguity. Let's put it that way. There is, and I mean, I think it. It's right out of the gate for some people. It's like, I'm not going to go to a circus. There's clowns there. I'm not going to go to the, the carnival. They never bother me. I guess I'm not yeah. that way. But uh, And, I mean, a lot of people, like Stephen King's It, is like, that's why I'm afraid of clowns. It's like, come on, you know? <laughs> Can you see this picture here? Yeah. That is one of a young, well, he's a young man, but he was a boy when I first knew him. His name was Jim Bonner, and he helped me do yard work. But, uh, and I'd get him to come in and pose for me. He was a good kid. He'd come in and sit for me for a long time. Uh, and I drew him all the way from probably 13 years old to about 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember drawing one drawing of him was life size. And, oh, wow. Um, that drawing I took to Oxford and put it in a show, and there was a little old lady who lived in Oxford who came up to me and said, how much money do you want for that? Hmm. I should have traded her a drawing because she did some nice drawings and paintings. And anyway, I sold it to her for $65. And I knew why she wanted it. I mean, why would this little old lady want this picture? Well, she did paintings. And her paintings would have children in them. Mm -hmm. And she'd been a teacher when she was much younger. And as she grew older, she did these dream pictures. And she didn't want to sell those dream pictures. So she began to do pictures of games of children. Well, they became, I would say, geometric configurations where you're off at a distance and you look down and see these curling children dancing in circles or having balloons or whatever, you know. Very delightful. But I think to help her become stimulated or inspire her, it helped her to have a child. Mm. Because I remember when she went and got that picture, when I brought it to her actually, and she said, tell me about him. Mm. So I told her about him. And I mean, she was going to have a child with her, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Here's this older lady, and here was a life-size image of a child. Mm. And it was Jim Bonner. And he had, he had a sweet, angelic way about him. Mm. And I painted him, or I drew him always that way. It was, it was just, a, you, when you looked at Jim, you were looking, you were looking at a very nice young man. And um, so I told her all about Jim and this and that. And, I don't know, her work was eventually taken by uh, Oxford, and it was all absorbed. I don't know what they did with the drawing I did of her, or, or Jim. But anyway, in this thing, you can see Jim's a little, this is an older picture of Jim, and he's got that um, scarf around his throat, and it comes down, all these vertical lines, and then I took 
some flora uh, up around them. It was vegetation from my yard. Do you know what they call that, Catherine? Uh, I don't. Some sort of a wildflower, you know? And I always, up to this day, you go back to my apartment, I've got, I love dried old flowers. Mm. A lot of people look at them and think, oh, they look dead, you know? Well, maybe, but I just think they're interesting shapes and the, the, the way they dry up and the curls they make, I think they're as interesting as the live flower. And so you see on both sides of his head, there are these flowers, and uh, I got a square around him. And I always used to think of those squares as looking somewhat, um, you know, a saints have circular mm. on, or, 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 what do they call it, a rimbus? Or? Like just a halo? Halo. But the halo is a circular form and it has no beginning, it has no end. Therefore, if you are enclosed in that, it's like eternity, right? Mm. Uh-huh. When you put a square around it, they have corners, so you reach a point where you must turn, and so that's a living saint, if you want to put it that way. Oh. And I always thought of him in a very angelic fashion, so I just kind of enclosed him in that square. And it's not even a square, it's a rectangle. Mm-hmm. But I thought of myself as a square. It's got a little title in the lower right-hand corner, but um, I just like to do those things. You know, it's all done in silvers, right? Uh, and I, for a long time, I liked to do things in silvers and silvers and gold. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm realizing there's, we don't have a representation of one of my favorite series you did. And it was um, honestly the one that sort of kicked off, that we showed the most of for the kickoff of your endowment. For, and it was the, uh, the show we called it Illuminated. And it was all, it was a series of basically your earliest memories and they're all very dreamlike, and a lot of them are set in like a church, or and it's always or like outside under a tree, and it feels very dreamlike. And you're you feel small, like the observer is small, looking up at this world and these either towering adults or big trees, or and then you have the the natural elements. And that's by far my favorite series you've ever done. Where are they? Um, well, I, th- I think they. Do, I think I know. I have a few. Um, I'm sure Elizabeth has some. You've probably sold some, but I think you actually have one because there was one hanging up um, when I came a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it, somehow it just didn't make it in here. But do you remember that series? I just I love when you talk about well, the, those the thoughts behind that series. I don't remember those particular ones. It's funny how. You think you remember everything, mm-hmm. but until you see them again, they may mm-hmm. kind of slip to the back of your memory. They're like your your first memories of being in church with your parents, and um, it's like of little kids in the church. I don't even remember that. Huh. It doesn't kick it in for me. But I do remember, I always thought I was part druid. <laughs> I mean, I love trees. Mm-hmm. Always love trees. Looking up into trees. Drawing the tops of trees, different ways, different times. But um, that sense of scale, I could imagine that for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, what, a, what, what, what are some tips that you could give to help someone uh, draw a better tree? Because I mean, like I doodle and like I can draw a mean pine tree, but if mm-hmm. you go to talking about like an oak and the different elements like with leaves and limbs and like I guess it would be just take a picture and keep looking or not even take just look you don't take a picture and look look um, I remember when I was in high school college this guy who taught me art he didn't teach me much art in a way he was the there was one Catholic priest at this college Father Katich and Katich was one superb calligrapher if you go, used to go to the old Britannica and look up in Britannica the writing in calligraphy, he had written it. He knew the publisher of Britannica. And he got Caddish to write his entry. Anyway, Caddish um, would say what he wanted to, but then he had a guy who would help him. And Joe Shepler was his assistant teacher. He would work with him. He had no... 
he had no vanity, no ego particularly, and he just would teach these classes the way Gaddish wanted them taught. But Shepler did have a good eye when it came to drawing trees. Because I remember him pointing out, go outside and look, some trees, the branches will go up. <coughs> some are going to go down. Some will go up so far, and then they branch out different angles. And it was so right. You just look at the, this town. You look in the winter at the, the directions of the branches and how far they go out. And some years they go very far, and then they begin to, do begin to drop a little bit. And other ones just drop immediately. You begin to realize there's a whole different ways these branches grow, the speed they grow at, how soft they are. You can tell how strong they are, you know. And I, I think it was fascinating to, to look at trees carefully mm -hmm. and to try and draw just maybe a branch that fell off even, you know. Mm. And uh, you know, I like drawing trees a lot. And like I say, I've often thought, I've got a little dash of German in me with most of the Irish, but I always thought that little dash maybe takes me back to the Druids, you know, because <laughs> I, I just have a fascination yeah. with the tree. Um, both the, bait, the the trunk of it but then you go up into those upper branches and how they, the angles they um, shoot off at. Vertically, diagonally, maybe even dropping down toward the ground. Right on. Uh, the first piece, it kind of reminds me of this one a bit with, uh, you know, a girl just sitting. Uh, what about, what about this? That, some people don't like that, but that is a picture of, a, if you can see it, it's, his name was Leroy Conrad, and he stayed at my house. Leroy lost a job. He's one of these people who would go through and get everything for a PhD except the dissertation. What was that called? ABD? I think, yeah. And that was Leroy. And he was very well read, very well read. But he'd have a job as a night watchman, you know. And now he'd be reading some Greek author rather than Zane Gray that <clears throat> night. Then he'd get up and go around and punch his buttons and, you know, do this and that. And in the morning he'd go out and sit in some cafe and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. And then he'd come back and sleep. But anyway, he's an old friend from when we were in college together. And so, um, but Leroy was the most interesting guy to uh, observe. You and Catherine remembers him well. Just a character, a real interesting character. Yeah, the, the darks on his eyes and under his nose, and that's very interesting. Well, sometimes I think I should have probably done a little more with the background. I kept it so simple. I think if I had created different values of the background, it might have made you look more at the variety in the background values might have made you look again at the face more. Hmm. Because I think you're right. And the face is, the body is drawn much looser than the face and all. But um, the face I took a lot of time. I always, my whole life, I would always want to work on that face and get it right. And any little thing about the expression, if I wasn't really happy with it, maybe it would be in the hair, maybe it would be some shadow on an eye, maybe it would just be the way the ear was done, whatever. But whatever it was, I wanted to get these little characteristics done. And once they were locked in, I'd move quickly through the rest of it. I mean, and I don't mean I would not care about the rest of it, but I would want to get that central part that had to do usually the head or the whole, everything to do with the head. And then from that I'd spin out. In that particular drawing, maybe I could have done more to the background, and I, it might have given it a little more appeal, I think, you know. How about all the mythological characters? You've got lots of, um, of course, tons of, of art on all your religion characters and mythological characters and well I guess I I, I just was fascinated by religious characters always mm -hmm. um, I, I went to I went to church very carefully for many years went to the Roman Catholic Catholic Church you know and um, they have the stories of the saints and I went to Catholic schools when I was a child and, I, and I apparently I listened more carefully than some people because I remember lots of those stories, the saints. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a lot of different stories there, you know. They weren't all simple stories. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would take some hit or 
something I'd, I'd spin off a, a drawing of a saint or whatever. There was there was one I don't have it here, but somewhere I did it was a screaming head, and I called it Saint Stephen. Well, if you go back, you know Saint Stephen is the first martyr. Did uh-huh. you know that? That's right. And they stoned him to death, right? That's it. And so, what would Saint Stephen look like as he was being stoned? <laughs> He'd been screaming, probably. Screaming. So I got these. These stones are, you don't see the stones. You see a screaming head, hmm. which could just be a weird expressionist drawing. Yes. But it's St. Stephen. You know, and like one of my favorite saints in history is where we get St. Nick, St. Nicholas, Santa yeah, Claus, right. is like what he was famous for right. was actually going into a council meeting and hitting a guy, slapping him open handed, if I'm not mistaken, for heresy. I didn't know that myself. Yeah. I, I remember Nicholas's, I've always thought Nicholas's was the patron of many strange things, of barbers, mm-hmm. uh, what else, you can, a, lot, a number of strange things. I, I just things. know he, he, he smacked somebody for heresy. I, that's, <laughs> I remember he was at the Council of Nicaea. That's it. And uh, he was the Bishop of Myrna, was it? That's it. And uh, again, you've got a very interesting character. I did drawings of Nicholas. And Santa Claus is Saint Nicholas. That's right. And so people don't realize, they keep thinking Santa Claus is so pagan. Not terribly. He's just a, he's giving you early 19th century NAS changes the costume a little. Mm-hmm. But that's Saint Nicholas. Hmm. So uh, mythological uh, drawings of saints, uh, portraits of people in and out of your life. Of what every what is there? I'm sure there's more work. Yeah, I mean there's there's just been ton. He he'll go through series and yeah. cover certain things for years at a time that he's sort of dwelling over and then move off to other things. Yeah, this is a very very small collection of of the things that just a small fraction of what he's gone over. But the one main theme, of course, has been the portraits of all the people throughout your life. You know, all the characters you've known. Some are much more recurring than others, but there'll be lots of models that you'll have for years and years, and, and then they'll leave. But, you know, family but characters. And, and There was a very pretty blonde girl I drew back in go. the 70s. Now we're getting the story. <laughs> and she came from England. She grew up in England. And her family lived in, on one of, the, one of the houses that the British royalty had. And her grandfather played Santa Claus hmm. for the royal family. It's all wow. coming together. It's here. all coming together. <laughs> uh, I mean, but you know, this striking girl, she I think it was in the summertime she posed. In classes, then I get her post me. You know, life is funny. I could draw during classes more than you think because people, you could walk around a room and look at people draw, and if you watch them too closely, you're ever a pain in the neck. Let them be by themselves and draw. So my dad was a art teacher while I was an art student. Yeah. And yeah. I remember that actually is really helpful as a student to have the professor creating a piece of art while you're doing it because you yeah. it's then you just because obviously if you're an art major you're probably a visual learner. Yeah. So you need to learn by visually watching somebody do that. So it was always really helpful to be in your class because you would kind of just get onto your paper and say like see yeah. here and and so, That's yeah, right. that was a really good, it might have been a little self-indulgent, let's be honest, but it worked really well um, for well, a lot of art students. I think it's funny, Catherine was, my, I, do, I did not try to have my children in my classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, either one of them. Elizabeth now wasn't naturally given, she didn't like to compete with Daddy. And she wasn't naturally inclined to draw. She was very good at weaving to this day weaving and quilting and things like that she's quite good at mm-hmm. very good but um catherine could draw and so catherine took a drawing class i had later on and the funny thing was i figured that everybody knew catherine but she would say daddy blah 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 and i could i never said it but i could think why do you call me daddy because these other kids will make fun of you or give you grief over this which I guess they never did. But um, anyway, it would work in these classes where, I, I, anyway, I would try to come around and look at people's work. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go back 
and draw myself, and I get to look around. But that gave them half hour at least to draw on their own. Mm -hmm. And that's an important time, I think, to just let people draw quietly. But gave, I could work fast. I could draw quickly. And I'd sit down and sometimes get a pretty good drawing. Sometimes you'd get a nap, too. Oh, I would fall asleep in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and so that turned into somewhat of a series because some students would then turn and draw my dad sleeping. And he would become the model. So there's lots of pictures. Yeah. With that hat that can't go unmentioned. There's lots of portraits of my father sleeping in his own classes from time to time. Which I did. <laughs> I mean, I would just doze It's part off. of the assignment. It's part of, yeah. It's part of the assignment. Yeah, now you draw the professor asleep. Yeah. <laughs> but they, you know, it's interesting. One thing, in that, in that period, we had a large art classes. Mm. And it's good to have, I think, to have 25 or 30 people in class hmm. because they're learning from each other, they're learning from hmm. you, and they will see, like she said, you can look at the teacher's drawing, they can look at the best student's drawing. Mm -hmm. It gets real competitive. It can, it can, yeah. Yes. Yes, it should be, right? Yes. It's real competitive. Yes, competition is the quality of the thing, of the, the larger classes. Mm -hmm. And I, I just enjoyed those large classes, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the man who's the head here now, Mr. Dickey. Sean Dickey was a student here, and he worked very hard at these things. He's by far one of the best students you ever yeah. had. Yeah, oh yeah, very hard work. Just for sheer working hard. I mean, there's talent and there's work. And when I was young, I thought talent was great. It only take you so far. Mm -mm. You are so right. Because if that talented person doesn't work, they don't have it. I mean, they will have it, but they, it's just going to go so far. Mm -hmm. Where if you work, you can really, and that large class gives you a chance to see other people working faster, and they're good at this, they're good at that, they're good at the line, they're good at seeing the composition. There's people that see things compositionally, there's people that see things in terms of objects, and that can be a more troublesome than seeing it compositionally. Mm -hmm and reading all the values throughout. There's so many ways to look at a drawing or a painting. Light colors and dark colors and uh, where, how the values are dispersed throughout the work, you know. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot to be thought of that people don't always think of in the very beginning. And when you got a big class, you can see other people doing these things. Mm -hmm. You can walk around the room and if you, got a, if you are thinking, look at this person, they, they're looking at the values. This person's looking at the different warm colors and cool colors. This person's, and you can learn a lot mm -hmm. watching how other people have done their drawings. And then, of course, with the, what I said, too. Well, I, I, drawing classes were, to me, a very interesting, worthy experience. To, you can get a lot out of it. And to begin uh, walking this out of the door is um, we have, you have the endowment here. Uh, you got to teach here at the W for years. Is just some of your uh, just final impressions and like just what this university means to you? Well, the W was a very satisfying experience. Very satisfying. Um, the, the you know when you came here, like I said, I was going to a girls' college and all that. I did, but. It sounds kind of limiting. The girls were very interesting people. And they grew up and you, you go out and look around. They, they, they went off and got graduate degrees. They studied more things. I remember one girl, can't remember right off, she, she, got a, she became a doctor. She's dead and gone. She's, if she were alive, she'd be only 70 years old. She was a very clever girl. There were lots of very clever girls. The W had good students, good students. And they were, they were interesting to talk to and to listen to about what they had to think about things and all that stuff. They were okay. I enjoyed them a lot. Catherine, anything else? Yeah. We'll walk it out. Well, Mr. Finney, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. And uh, I, I guess I just I have one last question. Uh, just for maybe it's the parents out there, or maybe it's a teenager listening and is interested in art or getting into art. Uh, just get out there and draw. What advice do you give? 
get out there and draw. You can't, you can't, or paint. If, if you are more inclined toward color, use paint. Of course, nowadays you've got all these pastel sticks and color. If you want to use color, use color. If you want to use line, use line. I personally was a linear person, but just get out there and do it and do it and do it. Big, do it small. Uh, sometimes in, in my life, there were times that I enjoyed doing it with other people, you know, and then sometimes it's good to go off by yourself and do it. And if you, can, if you can't do it by yourself, you may have trouble, right? You've got to be able to do work by yourself or you won't ever evolve into anything. Otherwise, you'll always remain some sort of a student, you know. But go off and do it and look at, look at other work and look at books of drawings and books of paintings and see what they're doing. Of course, the fun thing is when we see books of reproductions, the color will never be as good. I think drawings are better to look at because they can't be as modified as much, you know. But, you know, to see how the lines were handled, how the colors are handled, and no, you can learn by looking at other artists' work. And they don't all have to be the greatest artists in the world. They can be good artists. They're working at it like you were working at it. But you'll see, you'll get other ideas and it'll let you see directions you can take your work. All right. Well, Miss Feeney, thank you so much. Catherine, thank you. Thank you, thank you Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Eric. All right, we're out of here. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask you to rate and review the show, whatever podcast app it is that you listen to on. Now, closing the show, Ken Rabbit, Dear Mister. Dear Mister, welcome to my fantasy Where everybody seems to point to laugh at me Dear Mister, welcome to my insanity If you want, you could just close your eyes and join Dear Mister, come and meet my family And soon you'll realize why I never feel loved Oh, I can't handle life I have no friends No, there's nobody that really likes me oh, Except for you The only one Too bad that you're imaginary Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.